Hello, folks. My name is Spencer George, and this is the Good Folk Podcast. I would like to begin today's episode with a question. When you think of puppetry, where does your mind go? If you, like me, conjure up images of the Muppets or ventriloquists or the hand puppets you might have made in elementary school out of an old pair of socks, then I am very excited for you to meet our guest today, who will broaden your horizons of what puppetry can be far beyond what you might know it as. For Saul Ramirez, puppetry is an art form, one with deep historical and social justice roots. Sol Ramirez is a 19-year-old artist, activist, musician, and puppeteer. Throughout his young career, he has worked with Paperhand Puppet Intervention, Therese Jagetto Pipkins, the Hillsborough Arts Council, and Orange County Arts Commission, and is the creator and director of 123 Puppetry, a puppet theater company based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He currently is attending school at the University of Connecticut, where he is majoring in the Puppet Arts BFA program, and yes that does exist. Puppetry, as I have come to understand it, weaves together the best of visual art and theater using physical representations to convey deeper truths about our world. Puppetry has a long history as a folk practice that entertains and teaches at the same time. It has existed in some form in almost all civilizations and all time periods. Puppetry is even said to predate written theater, and according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, represents one of the most primitive instincts of the human race. It is also known as the origin of all drama. If you ask me, that instinct is about art and connection, and taking on other forms in order to build those connections. Puppetry blurs the lines between actor and object, utilizing aesthetic representations to communicate deeper truths. It is no doubt an art form, even if it is an art form we hear little about in modern society. Here in North Carolina, we have an extensive network of puppeteers, and most notably, young puppeteers. I am so excited to introduce you to Saul, who is not only creating beautiful, elaborate productions, but building community, telling stories, and most of all, inspiring a new generation of young artists. This is Saul Ramirez. We used to do it on camera, and then we were like, this is really uncomfortable for everybody involved to have to just like sit there and listen to it. Um, so we can just go ahead and dive in. So Sol, I'm super excited to have you here. Um, I'm really interested in the work you do, and I'm excited to hear a lot more about it. I guess that would be kind of the leading question of, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your artistry, one, two, three, puppetry, um, and how you got involved in this, because you're the first person I've ever met to do it professionally. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear. Yeah, well, my name is Sol Ramirez, and um, puppetry has been around me in my life for basically as long as I can, like, you know, remember. And I know, you know, just based off of the stories I've been told from my family that, you know, I grew up watching this little program called like Baby Einstein, which was, you know, little hand puppets and a lot of like uh, colors and toys and things like that. And it was it was kind of just like almost like a, a baby version of Sesame Street. And then once I got a little bit older, then I watched Sesame Street, which has Jim Henson's Muppets in it. And then when I got a little bit older than that, it was, you know, Fraggle Rock and The Muppet Show. So a lot of Jim Henson uh, shows and a lot of hand puppets. But then my parents saw that I was, you know, taking a strong interest into puppetry and art and just, you know, creativity in general. And so in the summer of 2006, they took me to see Paper Hand Puppet Intervention, which is based in... Uh, North Carolina, and they work at their studio in Saxbaha, and they've been doing shows for 20 plus years now in Chapel Hill at the Forest Theater on a UNC's campus. And so we went as a family to go see their 2006 production called As the Crow Flies. And I just, you know, even though I was only three, three years old, I could, I can remember still being just completely like, in awe and transformed and sensory overload for a three-year-old kid who liked puppets but had no idea about just the vast uh, 
world of puppetry in general and because paper hand uses giant rod puppets that can be 35 feet tall uh stilt walkers masks uh, a live band and the first scene that they did in as the crow flies was uh, the story of john henry and who's a steel driving man and this you know iconic black folklore hero and I just they did they did the story in song and I just that would, that's always been my favorite puppet memory ever. And right after that, basically, I started going home, printing out photos they had on their website, making little versions of the puppets I saw them perform. And we had several family friends in the company and my dad actually did CD duplications for the music of the shows. And so the directors would come pick those CDs up because we were still in the time where CDs were, you know, the kind of, it, you know, it was kind of starting to die already, but it was still vastly used. And so uh, they would come pick up those CDs and I drag them to my room to show them all the things I'd made. And I made a little drum kit like the director had. And they just, I think they were also in awe of me at that point because it's this little kid that's replicated everything they've done and so paper hand was my start and i think they knew then it was only a matter of time until i started working with them and i did and i've been working with them for about eight years so paper hand really was my start into puppetry and they inspired me to start one two three puppetry which is my company that i started in around like you know kindergarten first grade something around that time where it was literally I'm too young to do paper hand, so I might as well start doing stuff on my own for right now and get used to it and then merge into paper hand once I'm old enough and I'd get friends that I had. And we started off by doing little puppet shows for, you know, the preschoolers and also just any other students or faculty that would come watch during recess. And it started growing from, from there into what it is now, which is also its own giant puppet company that has been, you know, doing giant outdoor spectacles and shows for about five or six years now. It sounds just amazing. There's so many like things I want to talk about, about what you just said. But the first thing I want to start with is so many artists that we talk to. And I'm an artist. I'm a writer. Victoria is an artist and photographer. All have this kind of moment when you witness your craft in some way, shape or form that it's just like, holy shit, basically, like, I want to do that for the rest of my life. I remember my moment was like reading Harry Potter and at all, six years old. And I remember I closed the last book and, you know, JK Rowling aside today, <laughs> I finished the book and I immediately opened my computer and started writing my first novel and have never looked back. And when you have been doing something like that for so long and you have that moment where it's just like, this is it, like, I, it's almost magic. You're completely captivated by it and you kind of can't look away. And people talk a lot about what makes a good artist. And if you had to ask me, I would say not so much the artist, but that's what makes good art is when you have an audience that it's you can't look away. Would you say that this was one of those kind of moments for you of like this, this, this is it. This is what I want to do forever. I'm going to dedicate everything I have to this practice. Totally, like 100%. Yeah, because, um, you know, Jan and Donovan, who are the co-directors and creators of Paper Hand Puppet Intervention, they always tell me, you know, especially Donovan, I, I used to think I was lucky when I found puppetry at, you know, 18 or 19 years old. And look at you, you came and saw one of our shows at three and knew exactly that, that that's what you wanted to do with your life. And it really has. I mean, I remember there'd always be, you know, the what do you want to be when you grow up? Jimmy, oh, I want to be a police officer, or oh, Tommy wants to be a, a fireman, or, or things like that. And I was always, you know, stuck and motivated to stick with puppetry. And I feel very lucky for that because, um, you know, it takes people a lot of time and a lot of searching sometimes to find what they feel they're meant to do here. And I was able to get on that train early because of the people that supported me with it. It's a rare thing when that happens. And I think it's especially interesting when you're very young, when it happens, because the attitudes of the people around you will change a lot. And I'm hoping you could touch on this of, 
it's one thing when you're five, six years old to be like, when I grow up, you know, Jimmy wants to be a police officer. I'm going to be a puppeteer. Like family is like, oh, that's cute. Like, good for you. Now, when you're 18, 19 and you're like, I'm going to do this, like, I'm really going to do this. How have the attitudes of the people around you changed in response to that? Have you felt supported in this work? I've always been supported. My parents, you know, I always tell them every day I talk with them, especially now that I'm in college. It's it's remotely now, but always I tell them, you know, you're the best parents in the whole world because they supported me from day one. They weren't people that were like, oh, no, art, you know, enjoy that on the side. But real jobs is the field you have to go into and, and things like that, which is has always puzzled me when people are like that, because it, you know, being an artist is a, a real job. It might not get the same um, financial support that others get, but it's going down its own field and own path. And, you know, if more people do it, then eventually it will be viewed as its own professional job. And my parents were, uh, and are still always supportive of me wanting to be an artist and activist and, you know, musician, puppeteer, all these things. And it's great. You want to be a puppeteer? All right. What do you need help with? <laughs> what do you need us to do? My mom would cut all my puppets for me when I was younger because, you know, I couldn't use scissors or box cutters. My dad would help me with the music and still has for even our last show, which was in in the spring of this year. Um, he was our sound guy. And um, my mom ran the front of house for the past several years while my dad was doing sound and they'd bring their family friends. Hey, help help, you know, be a, a box office member who welcomes people in or, or stuff like that. So not only were they um, extremely helpful in those beginning years, but as it's developed and grown into a big family and company, they've helped bring even more people in to help support me. And, you know, my parents, um, Jan Berger and Donovan Zimmerman of Paperham Puppet Intervention, I mean, they gave me my inspiration for it and saw, I think, kind of that spark in me and knew that if they were to help me grow that spark and help it, you know, just continue to grow within me, that there'd be not only a great worker in the puppet community, but also, you know, someone who would always come back and help them, which is what I always have wanted to do. And so I just been super, super, uh, you know, lucky, I guess, to have the people around that I have had around. And those are just the two main people, just my whole family in general has been so supportive and all the other local puppeteers like um, Terrace Jaghetto Pipkins, who's, you know, puppeteer, entrepreneur, and, you know, just traveler now at this point, because he's, oh, hey, I'm in Atlanta. Oh, now I'm in New York. Now I'm back in North Carolina for the day to say hi to people. And he, he also was part of Paper Hand community when I was growing up. And I've done several shows with him and productions. And so, yeah, I just, I, the, the circle I have always been in has always been a very good one. Yeah, parents, take note, because this is exactly what it means to be a good, supportive parent to your artist child. I think any of us who are artists are listening like, wow, I either had that or I want that. Um, one thing that I want to touch on is I think if you were to go up to somebody random on the street and ask them like, hey, tell me about puppetry today, people probably would be like, what? <laughs> Could you give us a little bit of the overview? I love paper hand. Um, I'm in grad school at UNC, so I'm kind of surrounded by that all the time. For people who are not in North Carolina or who have no idea like the history of the field of puppetry or where it kind of stands today, could you give us just a brief overview, um, starting with paper hand and maybe expanding out if you are willing to? Yeah, well, paper hand, um, like I said earlier, they've been doing giant puppet shows in the area for about 22 years now and every year it's a new social message environmental message and story and they they use puppetry in a way that's maybe not so familiar to some a lot of people are um know of you know the muppets and hand puppet styles and maybe if 
if they research a little more, they might know about shadow puppetry and things like that. But giant puppetry is something that I think still a lot of people don't know, know too much about. And Paper Hand, one of their big inspirations was Bread and Puppet Theater in Vermont, who have been doing, you know, uh, giant, giant puppet shows um, since I think, you know, the late 50s, early 60s. And so you can see how, you know, each group has been inspired by a puppet group before them or things like that. And they've taken that inspiration and developed their own thing. And that's just giant puppetry with, you know, masks and stilts and music. But puppetry itself has been around for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, you can trace back puppetry a really long time. And the really cool thing is that um, because of the classes I'm taking in at UConn, and I'm sure we'll touch on school in a little bit, but I'm lucky enough to be able to take a intro to world puppetry class where I get to learn even more about puppetry as art form, as activism, as a cultural, you know, identity and things like that. And so, you know, whether it's ancient Chinese shadow puppetry that was performed when the sun was out and starting to set so that you could cast a nice shadow onto a screen or onto even just whatever was in front of you or behind you. And so, yeah, shadow puppetry there, Indonesian rod puppetry has been around for hundreds of years. And the cool thing about rod puppetry is it's, it's basically the smaller scale of giant puppets that I'm used to because rod puppets usually have one stick for the head, two sticks for the arms, and you move it around like this. Well, giant puppets is basically you take one of those rods and give them to one person to hold up. And it basically increases the size by quite a lot, several feet at least. And let's see, what other pup masks? Masks are just a staple in almost every culture. If you look into it, you know, especially um, Mexican culture, which is where I come from, Mexican culture. And it's it's crazy just looking looking back and be like, wow, these influences have been around me this whole time. And looking at the art and, you know, the, the masks and just puppetry that's everywhere because another really cool thing about puppetry is its object performance and its movement. I could pick up a pencil, move it around in a certain way and say, oh, this is a, you know, an airplane flying around. And then now I'm performing puppetry. So puppetry is literally taking an object and giving it meaning. And so puppetry is all around us. And that means puppetry has been with us since the beginning of us as people on this planet. So that's a very kind of stripped down and also not so stripped down <laughs> uh, history of puppetry in some ways. And I'm still always learning more about it. I love the way you frame that of it's taking an object and giving it meaning um, is a, a, just an amazing lens to look at that through. And the history, I mean, I would have had no idea about the history. Like I am very involved in the arts and I've never gotten a chance to study puppetry. Um, one thing that you bring up is the intersection of art and activism here and how it's puppetry is a field that is very tied to a lot of cultural significance and gives you the opportunity to kind of share history, talk about what's going on. Theater in, in a lot of ways is a very unique art form for that. Um, it provides you something that other art forms don't, which is that it is kind of the written text and the performance text. Dance is maybe the only other thing um, that does that besides puppetry. Could you talk a little bit more about this intersection of activism? Um, you've mentioned it in your own practice. It's obviously very important in our practice as artists with good folk. Um, what does that look like of bringing activism into art, especially in the field of modern puppetry? Well, I think they really just go hand in hand. It's so easy because art's a form of expression. So you could take a big speech that someone makes about um, current society and make it a puppet show. And it would be the perfect script or something like that. And puppetry has, you know, always had ties to, you know, a belief or uh, a message 
you know, they would use puppets to show, you know, how the kings and queens were treating the regular townspeople, or they would use puppetry to show the great battles that are going on in the world. And puppetry has been used to protest outside of, you know, the White House or walking down the streets of different, you know, political gatherings or protest marches. And I think it makes me think of this really cool paper hand story that Jan Berger shared with me before where, you know, they, they were doing a protest march with their puppets. And this is a very condensed version of the story, but they're doing a protest march with the puppets and the, you know, the police stopped them. You know, you can't be doing that here. Um, you know, get all these hippie artists and puppeteers out of here where, you know, we're going to arrest you. And he told me, and this always has stuck with me is as they're, you know, confiscating the puppets to go throw them away and, and things like that there, the police are dragging this puppet that is Liberty. It has, you know, it's the, it's a Liberty puppet. They're dragging the Liberty puppet by the hair across the, you know, across the pavement to, you know, the trash can and Jan is just like, does anyone have a camera? Because this would be a, you know, a perfect, a perfect thing because it, they acted out their own object performance <laughs> and were able to say more than I think any activist could try and say about, you know, our society. And I always try, to me, I'm not interested in art unless it has a message, really. And the nice thing is all art has a message. It doesn't matter how big or small or how poignant or how like directed it is there's always going to be a message with art and that's why it's something that I think even as I've grown older I've connected to even more because now that I'm older now that I've seen the world that we live in I have a lot of things to say and I can say that through my art and through the music that is being made along with my puppet shows and I feel like it's almost, to me, my preferred way. You know, I'm not necessarily this loud-voiced individual who can go up and give this big speech. I can if needed, but I prefer, I prefer to be with a puppet or with some form of art and let the images that I'm creating or the music I'm creating kind of speak for itself and connect with people on different levels instead of giving someone this big paper that I've written and this is exactly what you're supposed to think of it because I'd say the best part of you know the message within art is it can be something different to someone than it is to the person who created it and it can just make you think and as long as my shows or as long as my art makes someone think who knows what that can lead to so yeah, that's why I think art with a message and puppetry with activism is something that I'm so connected with and something that's always been a connection throughout time. I just think that's so amazing. And can I just say, you're only 19, correct? Yeah. <laughs> you're wise beyond your years. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm just like, I agree with that. I agree with that. I was not this way at 19. Um, two things I want to get into, and you've mentioned it briefly, is number one, you are now at UConn which is the University of Connecticut, for anybody who doesn't know, um, studying puppetry, which I would love to hear you talk a little bit about. This is an academic discipline because I, I study folklore, so I'm also in a very niche academic field. It's the really fun kind of thing at parties that I'm sure you've had this experience before where people are like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, oh, like I'm a folklorist, I'm a puppeteer. And people are like, what? <laughs> um, so what does that look like to study in an academic setting, um, this kind of artistic field, you know? How is the response of like your classmates, your peers, your roommates, just the experience of being a 19 year old in an academic program like this? Um, and I'm very interested just personally in what it looks like. And then also the experience of doing this in a totally different region. Um, North Carolina, as anyone who listens to the podcast is learning, has this very deep history of arts, of activism. Um, all of these things are so ingrained to the way we live here. And it can be really jarring sometimes if you've grown up in that environment to leave and suddenly realize the way that people view the South as a place 
and how that becomes a new form of activism a lot of times in Southern artist work. Um, and we see this historically. I had this experience, Victoria had this experience. I don't know if you're having that experience or if that's something you think might come up, um, but what does it mean to you to be a Southern artist in a lot of ways and kind of building on that tradition? So two very loaded questions. I'll let you take them as you would like. Yeah. So I'd say for the first question, it's really interesting <laughs> doing puppetry with combined within my education. I've been so used to for, you know, a long time having to juggle the two as two very independent things and two very different things. And, oh, I have my own show to do. And I also have this AP literature project that's due tomorrow. And which one is more important when it's the night before the show and this big project's due? I'm used to kind of those kinds of situations. And given just because I'm majoring in puppetry here, it doesn't mean that I only do arts-related things. I have to still take the standard curriculum and uh, required classes and courses for Yukon. Uh, but it feels so much more together and combined and, and mixed because I'm able to say that this is part of my study. And because of that, I get to take several different arts classes that are meant to help me be a better puppeteer and have a better understanding of puppetry and the world around me. Like I take a drafting class, which is you know, definitely needed for larger productions that I'd want to do in figuring out, oh, I want, you know, these dimensions or I need to be able to scale this and things like that for just, you know, making a set or for knowing what theater I need for this show that I have. Or I take a design class, which has helped me, you know, learn how to design those sets and have a more technical understanding of it rather than just I think this tree looks cool here and I'll tell this person I think this tree looks cool here and the nice thing about design is it's letting me work from a standpoint of someone just working it's not me doing the whole thing which is what I'm kind of used to in in some ways as far as the production goes i'm used to being the my, the own my own person that i present to being like okay i think this is cool yeah that is cool let's you know make that and with design fundamentals i'm able to kind of work from a different point of view and my world puppetry class is really awesome for obvious reasons i get to learn and discuss puppetry um, with other people. It's not just other puppetry majors, it's other people that just had an interest in taking the class. And But on top of that, I have to take my general education courses and, and things like that. And, you know, I can't speak on it too much because I'm only about a month into it now. So, you know, we just basically just got done with going over the syllabus for, you know, this class or that class you know, maybe just a couple of weeks ago now. So now we're actually starting to see what the workload is going to be like. And so it's always been kind of uh, a large thing to juggle puppetry and academics. And while it feels mixed more now, it's still something that I have to to juggle is just more it's just a little easier and a little bit more together and the nice thing is i'm working with other people and for one of the first times where it's not in necessarily a professional like i work for you environment i have people that are older than me you know you know sophomores juniors seniors and graduate students who are also in the puppet program and have done these things and they're able to help me and help me understand this class you should take oh you know once you get the option don't go this way you know try taking these classes because if you want more time to do puppets these are the way this is the way to go and things like that so 
it's been a really interesting adjustment because my goal was to not try and think of a lot of puppet show ideas this first year because it'd be almost impossible with my schedule. But I think I've probably now been working on puppet show ideas for about five weeks since I've just moved in. So because I'm now surrounded even more so with puppetry and seeing the amount of people that I'm able to work with and that want to work with me, it's uh, it's kind of impossible to turn off that creativity in me. And I guess that means you're really on the right path. Yeah. That it's like, even when you tell yourself, I'm not going to do, I, I just finished a book and then started sending it out to agents. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to take a break. And then I had an idea for how I could rewrite it again. And now I'm on my 5am wake up doing the same thing. So I think it just really speaks to like this community and this practice. And you're like, no, this is, this really is like what I want to be doing so much so that I can't turn it off, you know? Yeah. And I was, I literally had just gotten into the state of Connecticut and just had a random thought bubble of, oh, wouldn't that kind of be a cool concept to explore in a show? And then, you know, immediately like trying to, you know, throw that away, but taking a small little note of it because I know it's a good idea and I'd want to revisit it. And that turned into like, you know, trying to fight against opening my sketchbook and drawing puppet ideas and then looking up information on these different uh, ideas I was having. And then it turned into, okay, well, now it's just going to be easier to work on it by myself. So by the time I do have time, I'm able to have everything ready. So now that's my new, my new approach to making a show right now. And uh, that should be interesting. But with that first question i might need the second one repeated to me because now i've just been thinking about puppet shows <laughs> well i want to divert from that because i have a couple questions out of okay. these puppet shows which are number one when you talk about it because you're talking about drawing the designs and then you've mentioned a little bit the music are you the one doing all of that or do you get to bring in a team of people and number two if you're willing to share could we get a teaser of some of these ideas or or maybe one of your favorite puppet shows you've put on yeah so i'm really glad now i get to talk about like the amazing team that i've had and it's a little weird because now i'm away from a lot of that team and it's not as certain as when we're gonna all get back together for a new show but you know besides from my family my family or my parents more specifically my sister who is 13 right now so she has grown up watching me do puppetry and she's been in my shows for you know since she could basically hold a puppet because at first it was like you know i need help and it's this you know little sister who wants to you know be there and help her big brother but i've seen her like i've seen her grow into art as well and she does sketches she does clothing designs and and all these really cool things but she's also been you know my longest running <laughs> puppeteer for my company and speaking you know in close second place you know by a couple year difference there's my best friend jasper who's going to Warren Wilson in North Carolina. He is not a puppet person at all, or was not a puppet person at all. He, he, you know, he's a very, you know, quiet and, and kept together person who, you know, loves reading, loves, you know, I, I think he likes school. I, I'd have to, you know, check in, check in with him just about, whether he likes it or he just knows how to get it done quickly and, and stuff like that. But he's always just kind of been someone that you wouldn't think is going to be doing puppet shows. But because he was my best friend, I ended up asking him once, you know, when I was just starting to really start the company because I've, you know, I created it when I was a little kid, but there's almost two different, like two different iterations of one to three puppetry, you know, just the kind of idea and doing smaller shows and backyard performances. And then there's, okay, let's start, you know, putting a whole year of work into these things, making it an official, you know, company applying for grants, you know, putting on big shows at a public venue, one, two, three puppetry. And right as we were starting that one, two, three puppetry, he joined in and 
the growth he's had as a performer is, you know, incredible because, you know, he, he's always going to support me. And that's what makes him such a great friend is he wanted to do that so he could help me. But then I think I've seen him grow as a performer and artist and uh, puppeteer in those past, you know, six years that he's been doing it because just last year I tasked him for the first time with writing his own scene for the show and reading that scene as, you know, a spoken word um, puppet scene in our last show and watching and just watching back that footage every once in a while, it's super cool to see just how, how much he's grown to the point where now he was able to write his own little script and present it and workshop it with me and help us make the puppets for that scene. His grandparents would come over and paint the, the fence puppets and they do the, the carpentry because his family are carpenters. And, you know, they just like the whole Jasper Schmoke. So the whole Schmoke family got in on this scene and they've always been super supportive of Jasper and myself and Wednesday puppetry. So that's Jasper. And there's so many, you know, so many people, so many of Zola's friends have helped and uh and but i think kind of to round out the puppet side there's a taryn pipkins who is terish pipkins his son and terish who's known as jaghetto as his stage name is a puppeteer and an activist and an artist and his son kind of just like me was so interested in it that he does his own puppet shows and makes his own puppets the difference is that he's 13 too. So he's almost gotten a little bit more of a head start with professional puppetry than I have. And so he's been doing my shows for the past several years as well too. And it's really cool being like, oh wow, now we can hand Taryn this giant puppet to hold because now he's grown a couple of feet and put on, you know, more muscle and is able to run around stage. And, you know, and it's, it's super cool watching him grow in the sense of just, a child growing into this young teenager, but also, uh, you know, a performer growing into, you know, his own, his own performer, really. Someone working for people, but then being able to do just as much on his own. And then Sophie Joy, who's been doing Paper Hand along with me for the past several years now. Uh, she is an amazing painter an amazing puppet builder because she's worked as an intern uh, in a, you know, a builder for paper hand for the past several years. And now she's upgraded to studio artist and has the keys to the paper hand building, things like that. So she's grown in her, her own respect. And I brought her on a couple years ago to help me. And she really has come as close to kind of almost a stage manager role as someone has before with these shows because I'm so used to kind of doing a lot of it myself and I was like wow this is an amazing artist who can I can just be like hey can you make this and they'll have it done by the end of the week or things like that and you know just a amazing artist in general and she's you know also you know she's 18 so so there I've gotten lucky with finding so many awesome artists and also the cool thing about all of them, but also Sophie, is she's able to bring her own opinions and her own thoughts and feedback and, you know, criticism. And even sometimes, you know, because you're so used to being the director, it's like, oh, well, you know, but, but you know, this is still, this is still my thing or, or stuff like that. You're able to then be like, wow, but look at how lucky you are to have someone who cares about it just as much and you're able to hand them even more responsibilities and even more titles to the point where last year uh, I we gave her and she worked for the title of, you know, puppet production manager is what <laughs> is what her title was. And so that was super cool because, you know, she's an amazing artist. And then on the band side, I have to give a super special shout out to Evren because they are just an amazing drummer but an amazing musician and every day I am so thankful that I met them because we went to the same school some people 
suggested I reach out to Everin and explain what the puppet shows were. And I did. And they were like, that sounds really awesome. And I remember, and I hope they do not get, you know, too upset for sharing the story, but it's a good one that we had a very small band a couple years ago, their first year helping me. And it was, you know, three people, including me. And we only had me and one other person until I think two weeks before the show. And Everin basically was an emergency musician and their first practice or rehearsal for the band, they knocked on the door, I opened it and Everin's there, you know, the savior of the puppet music and says, I dropped my water bottle in its glass and I think it broke all over your, your front porch is okay if I could use a trash can. And, you know, I always joke saying right there, I knew they were going to be with us for a while and, and just the musicianship and quality and, and dedication that they've brought over the past couple of years to, to these shows. It's like, wow, we have really solid puppets and really solid rhythms and music now because we co-wrote a lot of different ideas together for our last show. And so Everin's just been just an amazingly, you know, upful and high spirited person who has helped us so much in the music department, because I can, I do percussion and I know what good music sounds like, but I can't necessarily, I don't know notes and I don't know music theory and I don't know how to write stuff. Everin knows all of that. And so just as a whole group and I'm, you know, there's so many other people, but you you can see now how lucky I am to be able to, you know, grow these shows as these talented people join on and, you know, jump into it. And so, yeah, that's like, that's my team. And, you know, it's always growing, especially now that I have a whole, you know, classroom of other puppeteers now, I, it almost feels kind of too easy to like get together a group of people. And I'm sure it won't be once I actually start it, but you know, it's like, there's so many opportunities now here at Connecticut. It's pretty crazy. Well, you get to build out the community and then it just kind of grows and grows. We, we talk about that all the time here of like, I wanted to do this project forever. And then I met Victoria and I was like, what if I did this? And then what if you helped? And then now we just connect with like amazing people. And um, yeah, shout out to Everin. We, we know Everin. We love Everin. Um, if you're listening, hello, Everin. <laughs> they were on our episode with Trash Shape Records um, a few episodes back. I will link to that so you can go back and listen. Um, and another amazing group of people doing all kinds of things. I don't know the high school environment that you all went to, but it seems to be producing a lot of artists. I have a friend who also went to this high school who is now a theater artist. So it, it seems like it's just spiraling. I'm like, man, I wish I went here. Um, I don't want to gloss over the fact that you launched an entire puppetry company as a teenager. And you know, you're talking about grant writing and development and all the things that like any adult who works in the nonprofit arts world knows, but most teenagers do not know. How, how did that even happen? Like the steps to launching a company or any kind of nonprofit organization are not easy. And you, you're talking about it knows so nonchalantly. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what that was like? You're like, oh yeah, no big deal. I just launched my own company, you know? Well, I'd say we'd been doing kind of the second, you know, second iteration of One Street Puppetry where it was a much larger scale production for about, two years and then i just happened to be scrolling on the one c pup tree instagram and i saw this post by this group called the orange county arts commission in north carolina saying the deadline for project grants is in three days and i was like oh whoa grant huh i haven't thought about that and i was probably 15 or something at the time so i guess i wouldn't usually think of that but um I went to my parents, I was like, you think this would be a good idea? And my mom helped me write, you know, a, a grant application. And I think, you know, they were also maybe surprised at a 15 year old first just applying for a grant. And then second, 
what the grant was for and, and stuff like that. So I, uh, I was super excited when I, when I received the news that I got my first grant from the Orange County Arts Commission. And uh, so that was, you know, a huge help because it was like, whoa, we actually have like materials for this year's show or we can actually like buy stuff and it not come directly from our own pockets and it could actually maybe start being a thing now. And they then awarded me a vitamin O artist of the month, I believe is what it's called. And it was with Alicia Stamford, I think. And she worked with the Orange County Arts Commission, took notice of the grant and basically put out a story about myself at that age and the grant. And it's really funny because I was reading back on it while trying to write a bio earlier. And I was like, wow, there's some really like interesting quotes in there and like writing about, I think there's something like how, you know, 15 year old me saying, I really love the rebellious activism aspect of, you know, fighting against poverty and social injustice. I was like, wow, I get, is this how other people react when I've <laughs> said, said these kind of things and oh my gosh I don't want to see anything from when I was 15 I like finally went back and deleted a bunch of old writing and you'll feel the same at 19 give it five years yeah I, at 19 I thought I was so cool and sophisticated and now in my mid-20s I'm like oh my god and I'm sure I'll feel this way at 30 yeah. so and that's the thing too is it's difficult because there's the natural eh, I don't like looking back on things like that I've the you know because I could, because being an artist, you know, you want your product to be perfect. And, you know, 15-year-old's first kind of big interview, it's like, wow, this is really interesting and looking back. But also, there's an archivist in me, and there's a preserver and someone who recognizes the importance of documenting and preserving your stuff. And so I almost kind of don't want to get rid of any of it. And I kind of hope that a lot of the stuff that has been gotten rid of in those rare occurrences somehow magically pop back because I always think that could go in a cool book in a couple of years, or that could be a really cool thing to show someone. And, you know, this would be prime documentary footage or things like that. And, and so I think it's a weird combination of the two and getting back to the grants it, you know, just that story was super cool because then I started getting like, you know, more followers on the One Street Pup Tree account and more people coming to see the shows. And I was like, wow, is this how it works? And it was cool because, you know, then I, I, you know, they told me I was the youngest grant recipient for the Orange County Arts Commission at that time. And then I got, a, you know, several more grants for the past several shows. Obviously, in 2020, we didn't do anything, so we didn't do any grant stuff for that. But, you know, past several shows we've done have been funded by the Orange County Arts Commission. So once again, another really cool group of people <laughs> that have helped me with the product that I wanted to make. And, like, it's like, wow, we don't have to put these giant puppets in our, you know, Honda anymore to go to the theater and we get to actually make stuff now at this point the size of the truck like last our last show called um the time we have was had three giant sunflowers that rose from the garden scene that jasper wrote and that would not at all have been possible if it if we didn't have you know grant money and support and a u-haul and th things like that and so yeah grants have been very a very fun experience it feels like what's coming up here a lot is that good art is not possible without community support not at all and that is something that is like so fundamental to my belief and practice as an artist and also really at odds with the narrative that is presented culturally of what it means to be an artist which is often very you know stoic you're the starving artist trope you're sitting at home alone just like making all this stuff and you're at odds with the world. And almost every conversation we have comes back to this, which is that my best art came out of community and came yeah. out of these kind of mutual aid networks that had enabled me to like 
really do things. I feel that so deeply. I don't think we ever would have gotten here with good folk had it not been for the community of people I found myself surrounded by. Victoria's listening here. Y'all can't see them, but shout out to Victoria for this. And, you know, Sol, you're mentioning all these people as well. And it's like, when it comes down to it, any book, you're going to go and find an acknowledgement section in the back, right? Any artist bio, like we should be in our bios, like shouting out all the people who made it possible. Um, Because it really is like good art comes out of good community and it should be as simple as that. And yet finding that community is really so often the challenge. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I still kind of look back on like, wow, this is really crazy how I've been able to find the perfect people to help me. And and even if it's not, you know, someone like how Sophie was or everyone was when I first met the two of them, it was, you know, some people aren't at that level right away, like talking about Jasper or, you know, like, you know, Maeve and Katie who have helped us with shows um you know sometimes they're just a friend or a friend of a friend or a friend of my sister things like that that don't know what a puppet is like I think I saw Sesame Street when I was four or something like that and it's it's really cool to see that anyone can be a puppeteer or artist and also anyone can be like the perfect help for a show that I need to do or for a company or a family I need to build things like that. And so, yeah, just like I've been saying, very, very appreciative of those people. I love that. I want to circle back to that one question I asked you a long time ago now, which is <laughs> what has the experience been like thus far working as you know, an artist in North Carolina? Speaking of community, I, I have found we have a very wonderful supportive arts community here. People are really willing to give you a hand as people have heard me talk about often, my experience as an artist in New York City, which is where I was living for a little while, was not that way. People did not want to give me a leg up or a helping hand. Um, it's not to say that it doesn't exist. I do work with some amazing communities that really want support. Support is obviously not mutually exclusive to a region. But I think something that's really unique about working as an artist, especially in rural communities and the rural South specifically, is the way in which we kind of support our own. Um, a lot of my research is in like Appalachian, North Carolina. There's so much, especially in the wake of all the flooding that's happened recently, where people are talking about, you know, at the end of the day, we support ourselves and we save ourselves. And the rest of the country and national news, they might not come to our aid. So we're going to come to each other's aid. What has the experience for you been like? being kind of a Southern artist now up in Connecticut working, but you're in this very niche field where people really want to support each other. Have you found a community? I guess my question is, how has the experience been working in the South versus not working in the South? And within that, how has it been having this very close-knit community of puppeteers versus the broader arts community? Have you felt that like the whole arts community has really embraced you or that it's really, I think there's a parallel that if you can't tell, I'm attempting to draw here kind of between the two. But I I do think there's something with like internal community versus external community, if you could touch on that. Yeah, I'd say, you know, the South and living and working there is something that I've just been used to. And it kind of just, it felt natural, you know, the communities I was in, like, you know, Chapel Hill and uh, Triangle, things like that, you know, they're, they're such good communities for art. And there's so many, you know, festivals and groups. And it was just kind of like being able to grow up in that helped me branch out with a lot of different, you know, people and make a lot of connections. And I think it's something in some ways I haven't necessarily sat down and and realized that you know where I am and you know where what this place has kind of gave me in some ways and I'd say I've only been in Connecticut for just over a month so I've I've but still I've already seen a lot of differences and it's it's different because I feel like I'm a student here at this point still and not necessarily like someone living here or you know it's not my home yet it's just a place that I am working with and I am 
you know, thankful to work here and thankful to have a lot of new friends and mentors and teachers, professors, but it's something that I'm still not necessarily used to or exactly comfortable with yet to the point where I could just, you know, do what I've been doing for so long as far as, you know, big scale shows and um, things like that. But it also brings a whole new set of, you know, it brings new set of challenges, but also a lot more opportunities because I'm going somewhere specifically meant for someone like me. And so I'd say I haven't ventured enough into just the overall arts world of Yukon and Connecticut in general yet, but I've already, you know, started getting ready for auditions for different, you know, plays and, and shows that are being directed by puppet art students that have, you know, design tech people working as a crew and having other puppet art students be in it. And they have music from, you know, the musicians and and, and stuff like that. So it's almost like it, it feels, it's interesting because I'm so used to pulling together a group, not being pulled into one as one of many people. And so, you know, I'm still learning my way around here. And, you know, the weird thing is too, I'm used to either driving or having someone I know drive me around and, fre- and you know, freshmen can't have cars on campus and I can't till junior year. So I've really gotten to know and make friends with a lot of the graduate students and seniors because they have cars and they have experience and, and they're also some of the really, you know, some of the coolest people I've met. And because they're not someone who, they're not people that are like, oh, I, you know, I've made it. It's time for you to, you know, figure it out or stuff like that. They're people that actively tell me, you know, don't feel bad about texting me that you need to get up to the co- puppet complex that's two miles off of campus. Um, because I was a freshman too, and I felt all worried about bugging the seniors before me. And, you know, so it's like, we're here to help and we're in this program as a group and as a family. And so it's been, it's been super cool getting to know all the people here. And yeah, so I'd say those are some like, you know, the connections and also differences of working in these two places. And I'm sure I'll have an even more definitive list by the end of my four years here. Yeah, we'll have to touch base with you then. But again, it really does go back to these mutual support networks. Um, so I think I think that's our overarching message here with all of us of like, support your friends and find these mutual networks. Um, yeah. One question that I have for you that you touched on a little bit is where do you go from here? You know, you've, you've got this kind of temporary home, possibly permanent home in puppetry in this field, at least for four years. Where where do you go next with one two three puppetry with your own career? Um, what is like if I could hand you a hundred thousand dollars and say yes, I'm going to give you all the grants. You know what would you want to do? What's the dream project? <laughs> yes, that's very nice. We should probably always thank the people who give us money in the arts world. <laughs> well, I would say yes, please first to that offer, but also. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but I would say, you know, one to the puppetry, it's been, it's really interesting because our last show, the time we have, I wrote basically realizing that this was going to be the last big show that one to the puppetry did for a little bit. And that this was right before a big move and a really big transition and everyone kind of going their own ways and the people that aren't are, you know, still young enough to be still going to, you know, finishing up middle school and starting high school, things like that. And I basically wrote it looking at, I'm entering a new stage of my life. I'm still young, but I'm not as young as I was when I started it. And I'm not as old as I am when I'm going to finish it. You know, it was a very big, like, circle and cycle focused show of seasons and time and not taking time for granted, but also 
not just watching the clock every second and see it tick down and worry about what's going to happen next. But one, two, pup tree. So I've already been able to think about it a lot enough to make a whole show about it. But one, two, three puppetry is something that I'm always going to keep with me. And I want to adventure doing other forms of puppet related things with the name and the title one, two puppetry, you know, working on more like short films with puppets or more big festival shows with puppets. And, you know, maybe, we talked on maybe giving a little bit of a sneak peek as to, you know, my sketchbook and idea book. But right now I've, you know, I've touched on it a lot and I've always pulled inspiration, but I've never just done a big puppet show about, you know, uh, Mexican culture and, you know, Latino, Latina, Latinx culture as a whole in the amount of material I have to work with for something like that, the amount of, you know, mythology and stories and fables and art and, you know, just everything you need, music, everything you need for a puppet show that has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years and it's been documented for hundreds and hundreds of years. It feels like just kind of a, the next thing I could do and the next thing I really want to do because I want to be able to, because we've had so many people from different backgrounds help me with my shows and help me with just being who I am. And I want to be able to celebrate where I come from and where my family comes from and also use it as a way to reflect on that culture now and where that culture is going to continue to go and that's that's something that I want to do in the next couple of years and make it a smaller show so that I don't have to keep it in one place because while U-Hauls are great, U-Hauls are expensive. And, you know, they're also having a huge group is amazing for the stuff I want to grow and do, but it's not something that's easy to move around and to keep together and, you know, the more puppets, the more people, the more ideas, the more time. So really, I want it to be almost a, a kind of shortened and like minimized version of what my shows usually are. More masks, more world puppetry. Because now that I'm taking world puppetry and, and learning all about the different forms of puppetry. I want to explore it more than just staying in my one field that I've been co confident and comfortable with. I want to try more rod puppetry, stick puppetry, masks, dancing, you know, more, more puppets that can do more things. And, you know, even adventure more into mechanisms for puppets and articulation for puppets, and maybe a couple of giant puppets enough that I could fit in a car where I need to tour it around. But my goal for it would be doing a big show like that or a smaller show, I guess, like that with a smaller group and being able to take it back to North Carolina and do it some and then be able to bring it back to Connecticut and do it some and maybe go even more places so that it can grow from just being a company that's currently still in North Carolina until I decide to use the name for something here. And I want it to be something that can continue to grow and not just be halted because because I'm in a different situation and so I want one to puppetry to grow in different ways and as I'm growing in different ways with my life and I want to be able to explore more opportunities and continue to learn what it means to be a puppeteer an artist and an activist and hopefully make a lot of more friends and connections yeah I think, I think that's the plan I'm going for right now. <laughs> well, that sounds like a much better plan than I had at 19. I think that sounds amazing. And um, <laughs> as a folklorist, I'm just listening to you talking. I'm like, there's so many opportunities to really bring puppetry into the field of folklore, which has not been historically something that I think has been super interconnected. So to all the folklorists listening, because I know there are quite a few of you, reach out to Seoul. There's opportunity here. And um, I, I would love to come see some of these shows. I think they sound incredible. 
I know that we are now hitting our time. Um, and I did actually give you the warning for this. So we do have one last question. Um, and every episode I was joking with us all at the beginning, yes. I always say, I'm going to give them a warning and then I never do. And I just spring this question on everybody, but soul, I remember too. So you've had a little bit of time to think about this, but the last question that I have for you, which is what we ask all of our guests is what do you believe in? <laughs> I believe in me and I believe in the people around me and I believe in my friends and I believe in community and, you know, love and, and righteousness and activism. And yeah, I just, I believe in, in the power of people, the power of nature and the power that we have to do good in this world. That's what I believe in. I think that is a beautiful answer. And again, the same things that seem to come up every time. So we really are building a community of like-minded artists and humans and individuals. And it's a really beautiful thing to witness. I'm just grateful to get to have these conversations, um, to be a part of this. I'm grateful for all of you listening. So thank you so much. And with that, good night, good morning, good day, good afternoon, wherever you are, be good, stay good. Thank you.